This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, it's been a busy week of action for the Albion. It's been a busy week of travelling. It's been it's been a busy week for me and Pete. You'll you'll almost be sick to death of the sound of us by by now. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully you can put up with forty five minutes to an hour of uh, of our chatter anyway uh, for. Uh, for one more time this week and we've got another away game to talk about not an away win um this time uh, we'll we'll talk about whether or not it should have been an away win shortly but Albion getting a 1-1 draw away from home against Hull City it was fifth versus sixth and Albion and Hull remain fifth and sixth although that being said I think both of them will look at their situation and say that it has improved over the course of the weekend. Um, Albion and, and Hull both gaining a point on on Southampton, um, keeping the status quo as far as Norwich are concerned. Coventry, Sunderland, Watford all going further behind the baggies. And to be honest, at this point in time, Pete, looking at the table, you, you never say never in in the championship, but. Where, where for months and months we've had, you, you, you probably look at the table and say it could be anyone from the top half, really, probably anyone down as far as Plymouth. There's just that bit of a gap now opened up below Coventry, and you've got to say it's it's probably now fifth down to ninth, fighting it out for two spots. So Albion on 56, Hull on 55. They're the ones currently occupying the playoff places. And then three points further off Hull, you've got Norwich and Preston both on 52 and Coventry on 51. I think the weekend's results um, have kind of killed Sunderland and lower and I do think it's I do think it's the um, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth and ninth for two spaces, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. It looks like it's just going to be fifth and sixth that are up for grabs. The Leeds, Ipswich and Southampton look like they're going to be comfortable in those top four spots in whatever order they finish. But other than that, there's fifth Although and sixth. that being said, both us and Hull have gained four points on Southampton in a week, which which we probably weren't expecting. I mean, I know they I know they are um, 11 points clear of us, uh, which, which sounds like a lot. But then I suppose in the championship, if you can make up four points in a week, you never know. Well, sometimes you can even make up nine, can't you? So um, all it takes is about an hour for Southampton and, and they might have been caught. But yeah, at the minute, it looks like it's going to be the two spots up for grabs and what, maybe uh, five teams in for them. Uh, Sunderland, that gap's opened up between them and Coventry. So it looks like it's going to be two, two spots for five teams. And I think Hall, initially I was thinking Hall was going to be our most difficult um, remaining fixture. But after Leeds beat Leicester and starting to catch them um that Leicester game might still be a difficult one I, I was kind of assuming that Leicester would have won the league by by the time that we have to play them but they might still have something to play for but still I mean after after we played Coventry the only real tough fixture that you'd look at right now is probably Leicester so we've gone through a tough patch 
patch of fixtures and come out with a good number of points and sitting happy in, in fifth spot. So I think we can be happy and we can be positive. And if we can keep on playing like we are, then I can't see us dropping out of the playoffs. Well, and also, Pete, we've spent much of the season talking about the away form, about how I constantly see people um, saying on on social media, we need to improve our away form or we're going to or we're going to drop out the playoffs. I mean, it's a myth that you largely debunked uh, on our substack a a few weeks back. And if you haven't read Pete's article on it whilst some of the data is now a little out of date it's still well worth uh, well worth a read it, it basically shows that um that that actually that's not entirely true that because what what really matters is albion's average points total over the over the season albion's points per game and what we're and what we're achieving our away form versus uh, plus our home form is actually more than enough to make the playoffs in any given season so that has been a little bit of a myth, uh, but what we what we have said on this pod, and what you said in that article, and what I said in a, in in a in a subsequent article that that was wrote off the back of that one, is that Albion's home form has been doing a lot of the heavy lifting, and that there is always the concern that if we were to lose one or two at home, that was the away form ever capable of of picking up the slack and making sure that 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 um that our points per game which is in the end what really matters doesn't ever drop off to a level which isn't capable of achieving us playoff football which is what we're aiming for we obviously got beat by southampton not a entirely unexpected result bit disappointing but you're going to lose one or two games at home and uh, and to be honest the fact that you know, when you lose to teams like Leicester and Southampton, you don't you're not going to lose your head over it. But um, we've then picked up the slack with five points in three away games, Pete, unbeaten in three against Ipswich, Plymouth, and Hull. Three incredibly difficult places to go. Ipswich, who are obviously chasing automatic promotion. Hull, who are snapping at our heels, and Plymouth, who've got one of the best away records in the division. And we've taken five points from those th- those three games. We're unbeaten in the last three away from home. And whilst there's a case to say, OK, it could have been more. It p- probably could have been more on Saturday. It potentially could have been more against uh, against Ipswich. Although you have to say in the end, given that the way that they were peppering our goal, a point seemed like a very good result. Five points from those three games is... A big turnaround in the away form, Pete. But it's not just the results, is it? It's the performances. And since that absolutely toothless, pretty pathetic display at at Norwich, I think I think we've we've tactically altered. Obviously, the additional options that we've brought in have been have been big for us. But we just seem a little bit of a, a dip, different beast away from home. I talked in the article that I did on our Substack, and if you haven't subscribed, you can find it by by look, uh, looking up our X account at Albion Analysis, and it's it's pinned there right at the top. If you want to read more articles that that we produce, I said in I said in that article the big problem that we have is not starting games quick enough away from home. Well, we started fast against Ipswich. We took the took the lead. Okay, we didn't start that fast against Plymouth, but we still hit the post fairly early on with an Alex Mowat effort. And to be honest, until the goal went in against Hull, I thought we were definitely the the side more likely to score the opening goal. I thought the the Hull goal came against the the run of play. I think we've seen a real turnaround in Albion's away form, haven't we? Yeah, and we said a couple of weeks back that it's our overall form and results that matter rather than just home or away. And we were doing enough over both home and away games to be in the playoffs and our points per game looked like it was going to be good enough if we carried that on to reach the playoffs at the end of the season. So it wasn't one or the other. Um, it was, we're doing really well at home. We weren't so good away. Um, but as long as we carried on with that home form, the away form didn't matter. It's just that each away defeat or draw that we would want to win in put a bit more pressure on the next home game. And um, I think to be fair, we probably carried on the home form like I say, we lost to Southampton, but we've done enough in the past to give ourselves a bit of room that we can afford to lose those games. That, in fairness, you might even expect to lose, maybe expect a draw, but you can you can kind of budget for those kind of losses. It's not like it's a big shock, and and obviously the I way the, the other up. way of round of saying it, Pete, is rather than saying they're the games you'd expect to lose, they're they're the games that you wouldn't necessarily expect to win. Yeah, or yeah, or you just make sure you do enough in games you know, before that in easy games. You pick up enough points there that you can afford to 
to not win those games or to even lose them. And I think that's what we've done. And the way that we've been, the way we've been getting results away from home as well has meant that we've got even a bit more, bit more room there because you know the last few games that we've had, it's been a difficult run of fixtures, but we've we've stayed in fifth spot and maybe even gained a bit of ground on the teams above us. And so. Well, and we've and we and we've recreated that cushion as well after the Southampton game, Pete. We've had, we've had two games in a week, and we've we, we've reestablished our four point cushion where it, where it had it had disappeared after the Southampton game. I think it was down to one point, and that was a bit of a concern because, as we say, the the home the away form's not been good this season. So I don't think anyone would have been too surprised if we'd gone to Plymouth and picked up a draw, or even if we'd gone to Hull and, and lost the game because our, our, we've not been good away from home. And especially with the Hall game, after conceding the first goal, that's the other thing that we always talk about, is that Albion have been terrible after going behind. Um, I don't think we've... Is it right in saying that's only our third point this season after after conceding the first goal? Uh, we haven't won a single game. I think the uh, we we've we've drawn we've drawn two others. I'm, I think I'm right in saying, Pete, that they would be Watford away and Stoke at home and now Hull away. Yeah, I think so. It came up on, on Sky Sports whilst I was watching the game and I think it was that we'd... We'd only picked up those two points, two draws from being behind. Um, so, yeah, going behind, especially away from home for Albion, is a big worry. So we did fantastically well to get back into the game and, and get a point at Hull, which, in fairness, even before the game, before we'd gone behind, I think I'd have been relatively happy with a point against Hull. As long as they're not gaining any points on us in that game, then I think we've done well because, like I've already said, uh, the, the fixtures remaining for Albion are, are what you'd expect to be winnable fixtures and it's not like we've got any bar Coventry and Leicester we've not really got any really difficult games absolutely looking at the game overall Pete how do, how are you left feeling about it because I, 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 I 100% agree with you before the game I think if you'd said to me I can guarantee you a point here I'd, I'd probably have snatched your hand off because I, I, I thought keeping the status quo especially after Coventry had played on on Friday night and and lost heavily to to Preston I thought a draw against Hull was a good result but that having been said and as, I mean even after we went behind as well you're thinking blimey if we get a point out of this we've done very very well but you look at the the data overall and just throwing one more thing into there, sorry, Hull, Hull had won five of their last six as well which goes to show what an incredibly difficult game it was going to be yet we won the xg 1.1 to 0.6 that uh, we kept hull incredibly quiet that's hull's lowest expected goals uh, sorry third lowest expected goals at home of the season only preston and millwall have kept them quieter and not by much either by the way i mean to keep hull down to 0.6 expected goals with the attacking talent that they've got on the pitch is a real testament to our defense and i thought it was other than the goal, which we'll come to speak uh, speak about shortly, and maybe one mistake by Kipre, which which leads to Philogene hitting the post, I thought it was a near flawless defensive display from from everybody, but particularly the back four and Okai. And you've got to feel we had we had the chances at the at the other end to 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 go on and win the game. We've we've obviously hit the woodwork twice. During the course of the match, um, we've won the XG battle. We've had a couple of other efforts. Mikey Johnston's shot that's uh, that's dragged wide as as well. Are you, are you left a little bit disappointed with, with with a point? And if you are, is that an incredibly positive sign that we're going somewhere like Hull and being the better side and probably should come away with the three points? It, you know, I don't take it as a negative that. I saw some people saying things like, "Oh, missed opportunity, our chance to really put up put up a real really big gap between us and the other teams." I think there's better opportunities to do that in the coming games. We've got we've got teams like Huddersfield, Sheffield Wednesday, QPR, and Rotherham, Stoke, all Millwall, all in in embroiled in the relegation battle to play. There are opportunities to pull up a big big gap. This wasn't that. This was this was a really really tough game, which. I thought we played incredibly well and probably should have won. And the real positive is if we play like that against teams like Rotherham, Sheffield Wednesday, QPR, Millwall, Stoke, we will beat the majority of them. And I think Hull probably went into the game thinking that it's their chance to to guarantee that they gain three points on Albion. Because, you know, they can win every week and, and think, OK, we're doing really well and we're going to catch Albion. But 
if we keep winning, then there's nothing they can do about it. So that was their, their chance to to make sure that they catch three points on us. And being at home with such a good recent recent form, I think they would have been looking at it as a real chance for them, which in fairness, maybe I'm, I was looking at it a bit negatively, but I just thought that, you know, we've got our lead, let's make sure we keep it. Um, and if we pick up a point, then there's no points lost or no points for whole gain. So I was happy with the draw. Um, obviously, we could have won it at the end, but they could have won it as well. So I think a draw was a fair result. If you look at, at the the data of the game, then Hull obviously dominated possession. They dominated the field tilt. So they had more of the ball in dangerous areas, but we created more chances than them. Um, not by an awful lot. 0.5 expected goals on a single game basis isn't really that much. Um, and yeah, I think a draw was probably a fair result. And I think Albion can yeah come away with that happy that we've not not lost any ground on Hull haven't gained, gained any ground on us and what we've gained a point on Southampton and also kept Norwich where they were yeah kept Norwich where they were and a few other teams behind us have lost um, I know Sunderland are a bit of a distance but they obviously lost and yeah it's I think the results for the weekend largely went in our favour and a draw against sixth place away from home is yeah I don't think that can ever really be a bad result I mean, you talk about the possession stats there, Pete. It was a very similar story at the Hawthorns, wasn't it? I think I, I, I recall calling the pod that uh, that that week. Um, it, it ain't how much of the ball you have; it's what you do with it that counts. And this was this was a similar case, wasn't it? Sixty three percent and sixty five percent of the of the possession numbers for for Hull in that, in their two games against us this season. Yet we've uh, we've beaten them for the xG in both games. We've beaten them for shots in in both games. And to be honest, what we were exceptionally good at as well was winning the ball back when we needed to because um Albion made 51 ball recoveries during the course of the, uh, of of that game which is the most ball recoveries we've made in a game Pete since guess what Hull at home that's interesting um because um the difference in the possession is that when we played them at the Hawthorns they obviously dominated possession I think what 63% and um Rosini was saying in his interview that they were really unlucky to lose because they dominated the game and were the better side. Yeah, completely um, ignoring the fact that we scored really early and, and led for large parts of the game, which might just have a fa- be a factor in them dominating the ball, by the way. Yeah, but I mean, we, we still created more chances than they, than they did, had the higher expected goals, and um, we had the higher field, field tilt in the game at the Hawthorns. We had 53%, so we had more of the ball in meaningful areas and de- threatening areas. It's different at the at the... Um, what do they call it now? The MKM Stadium um, at Hull. You know they dominated possession, but they also dominated the field tilt. They kept it quite well in our in Albion's defensive third to Hull's attacking third, and the field tilt was seventy seven percent to Hull. But again, Albion, despite having less of the ball in threatening areas, created more chances. So it's more. It's kind of just levels on each metric, really. Obviously, you've got possession as a basic one. Field tilt gives you a bit more information about where. Each team actually had the ball, and by the one team was just passing it around the defence. And then, if you go even further and look at expected goals, it's who creates more chances, and which is more important than who has more of the ball. And then, well, we wanted to draw them onto us, didn't we? Because we wanted to leave that space in in behind. And part of the reason I mentioned ball recoveries, Pete, is that is the the leading Albion player in ball recoveries because like I say that's the most ball recoveries we've made since Hull at home and our leader in that metric was Okai Koslu who I have to say I thought was absolutely phenomenal to be honest with you I, uh, I mean he also won uh, the most tackles of any Albion player he won three of his uh, four tackles he, he made the most interceptions and as I say made the most most ball recoveries and it's a big thing for me because uh, because Jean-Michael Serry in the midweek game against Southampton, by all accounts, was absolutely phenomenal for Hull and ran the game in that midfield. And and Southampton couldn't get to grips with him. Well, for me, Akai Koslu absolutely pocketed John Michael Serry um, to the point where the bloke was actually substituted before the end. And just he just could not influence the, the football match in the way that he usually does. And... That's not the first time this season Okai absolutely had his number at the Hawthorns as well. And I do I I think if if you're if you're looking for a um matchup between two of the best defensive midfielders in the division, yes, there's there's one or two others that that, that might be 
in that conversation, you know, Ampadu or Kamara uh, for uh, for Leeds, maybe Undidi for uh, for Leicester might might enter into that conversation. But I really don't think there's many better than Okai Yukoslu and John Michael Seri. And I think what Okai has shown over two games is that um, there's levels, and John Michael Seri's at one level, and then you go up to a real level, and that's where Okai Yukoslu's at. Yeah, I don't think it's any surprise to. Army fans to see how well he's doing this season because when we had him on loan in the Premier League, he was probably the standout performer in the second half of that season after he'd come in. So, you know, he's a top top player and it was something that I think I criticised him for in the Southampton game was that he wasn't getting close enough to Smallbone when we were trying to press Southampton high, but I thought he was stepping up really well when we were getting into a high press and just as Hall looked like they'd broken that press in Steptjokushlu and he'd and win the ball and the fact that I think all of his tackles that he made were in the middle third kind of says a lot it's not like he was just you know sitting in front of our our penalty area and just making challenges in front of there a lot of them came he's been further up the field the last few games hasn't he Okai he he's pushed up a little bit because I mean there's times when he when he drops in he's almost like a third center half but he's 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 trying to I don't know whether it's an active tactic by Corbran but he seems to be trying to win the ball further up the field yeah, I think we're trying to go a bit more man-to-man in our pressing and that kind of means that you usually ask to follow the central midfielders high up the pitch when they drop deep to support their centre-backs and full-backs when the opposition are trying to play out from defence. So you usually will follow the centre-mid right up the pitch and, and stop him being an option for the centre-backs. And I remember Corbran mentioned it in the post-match interview after uh, playing Ipswich is that I think he decided to abandon the man-to-man pressing um, I think it was after the note got passed onto the pitch. But against Southampton, we saw saw Yukushlu basically following Smallbone into really, really high areas when Albion were trying to press Southampton. And then it was the same um, against Surrey and Morton for Hall. So I think, yeah, I think Corbran just has maybe slightly adapted the way that we're pressing and it's led to Yukushlu getting higher up the pitch. And if we, win that, if we then win the ball higher up the pitch, then naturally he's in more advanced areas to have an impact there. So... Um, yeah, he's kind of just showing that he's he's got a few, well, he's got a lot of strings to his bow. Um, he, he's very comfortable sitting in front of a, a low block and defending the defence, the centre-backs there. Um, he's just an unbelievable player at this level, isn't he, as as well? I mean, he, um, I, and, I, and I, think, I think as well, Pete, that um, we talk a lot about fatigue with Okai Yukoslu. I thought it was really clever to give him a rest in, in midweek when the opportunity arose to do so. I mean, he obviously had to come on for the the very latter stages, but it, but it, nonetheless, he hasn't he hasn't had to play seventy eighty minutes. He I think he played about twenty, didn't he? Yeah, and it's it's the same for him and Mo, that both of them have played an unbelievable amount of minutes this season. That I wouldn't be surprised if there are top two um, players for nineties played, other than Alex Palmer, of course. I know uh, Cedric Kipre, Furlong, and Townsend are all in front of them, but after that, it's Yakuzlu and Mo, which. The two centre mids. You beat me for hitting the filters on the FB ref there, Pete. You could tell we were both scrambling towards the same website. <laughs> I've always got it loaded up when we're recording this. Um, but yeah, for, for the two central midfielders to that many minutes is is huge credit to them because they just cover so much ground. Um, and Mo especially seems to never tire. Yukushlu, I think, to be fair to him, recently he hasn't seemed to be tiring. At the start of the season, he looked a bit slow towards the end of games, but since well for the past few months to be honest he's looked really fit and doesn't seem to tire i thought against hall there was spaces opening up in midfield um towards the end of the game but then corbran's changes seemed to to help negate that and we didn't look as open but yeah he was obviously miles off it against norwich but then we found out afterwards that he was carrying an injury into that game yeah which is fair enough and even so even without the injury i think you can allow one of our best performers to have a, a poor game once a season. So, yeah, he's just been unbelievable. And he's another one of those players that we just seem to be really lucky to actually have in the squad, even though we're playing championship football, because you think there'd be teams in, in divisions that are a higher standard than the championship that, that could do with him. Oh, he's too good for this level. There's not there's not a doubt in my mind about that. I mean, just while we're on the defensive side of uh, of the game, Pete, I just want to just want to highlight a couple of things, because as I say, I, I thought... Other than the goal and the the chance for Philogene, which and we'll come to the goal in a little bit of depth in in a moment, I I thought 
defensively, it was it was a really, really top class performance from Albion. I thought the way Furlong on the right hand side uh, dealt with Zorori was really, really good. Um, and we've we've highlighted Okai. I thought Kipre had a good game, other than going walkabouts a little bit, chasing a ball that I didn't think he needed to chase, which meant that our whole defence got pulled across and there became space for Philogene to hit the post. Um, that was that was probably the one mistake that Kipre really made in the game, but Kipre was excellent and some of his progressive passing forward I thought was absolutely tremendous as uh, as well. I think um, he and, uh, I think I'm right in saying he and Townsend had the had the most uh, most progressive passes into the final third. And um, th- there was... Uh, uh, yeah, sorry, most passes into the final third, I should say. And I, I, I just want to highlight Peters and Townsend and the week they've had, Pete, because it doesn't it doesn't come a lot harder than facing Morgan Whitaker and Jaden Philogene in a week, does it? And yet they, I, I think I feel like they've had their number really throughout the throughout the course of uh, of the game uh, both games really like okay Philogene hit the post but he came across to the other side of the pitch to do it and as i say it it, it largely came from um from uh, from uh, Kipre going walkabouts but generally speaking i think i think those two were just absolutely brilliant the 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 amount of the amount of uh, balls they that they won uh, how how well they've played across those the, those two games and to and to nullify two players who are as talented as those two i think is just is just absolutely phenomenal it it really is and it just gives us a basis to go and attack these games when they're playing that well and furlong on the other side as well uh, came up against Zorori. um you know, he made he made a hundred percent. He tackled successfully a hundred percent of the dribbles that he faced Furlong. And you know, I had a I had a very re- reasonable and respectful discussion with somebody about um, Furlong's one on one defending. Which, when you look at the data, it isn't good. And I I completely respect the the, the point that was um, that that was that was made to me on on social media that it, that it is an aspect of Furlong's game that you can highlight and say could improve. Well, it was near perfect against um against Hull he he completely nullified Zorori Peters 100% of the dribbles that he faced he tackled as well i just uh, i just thought that in wide areas we we were which is where Hull's main threat was always going to be because they were playing without a natural center forward their their main threats were always going to be Zorori and um Philogene and then Carvalho because he is more of a sort of like number 10 mercurial player or who can play in the wide forward areas is, was likely to drift into those areas as well. That was always where the main whole threat was going to come from. And I thought our wide defending was just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, on the left-hand side, Peter Peters and Townsend had a very tough task and um, to fur, Furlong and Kipri on the other with Philogene and Zorori on each side. It's never going to be an easy game. Um, two of the to probably two of the best wingers in the championship, to be fair. And we dealt with them superbly, really. I think for the chance that Philogene did have, um, I think obviously he had to drift to the other side of the pitch, but then it's like the defenders were a little bit panicked and I think there was too many people went out to press. I can't remember who he played the pass to, who he played the one-two with, but to press that man and close the space there to stop them having a shot and kind of forgot that Philogene was there in pretty free. But other than that, they were they were really good. I mean, we're going to talk about it later, but you've got to you've got to say they've got to do better for the the goal that Albion can see. They've got to wake up for that. Um, but just on Kipre as well, I wanted to point out that his his passing um, was excellent. And in the data that I've got, it's slightly different to the data on FB. FB is by far Albion's most progressive passer. Um, with seven progressive passes, the next highest are all on five, and then also expected threes. Um, by far the highest with 0.3, and then didn't the next seem highest. scared to drive into midfield either, did he, Pete? Like he clearly got given that license by Corbran. Yeah, and um, he helped Albion get up the pitch and move the ball into dangerous areas. And I thought he linked up with um, Reach particularly well when Reach came on. And there's one particular pass I can't remember what came of it, whether it was the Reach chance or not, but he slid one through from probably just just inside the Albion defensive third, slid one through basically into the the final third and just between two I think it was between the centre back and the full back of Hull and um played reach in from there and it was just like a perfectly weighted ball and 
Um, it was really impressive. But yeah, I thought Kipre was excellent on the ball. Townsend and Peters dealt with the threat of Philogene really well and, and Furlong did the same on his side whilst being getting the goal that he deserves to put Albion level as well. So I think all four defenders deserve deserve a lot of credit for that game. Let's talk. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Away days are great. There's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record and the Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Talk about that goal, given that you've just mentioned it, Pete. We'll do the goals out of order, if you like. We'll talk about the equaliser first and then come back to the one we conceded because you, you've, you've, we're, we're talking about furlong, so it, it tracks that we should continue doing so. And, I mean, Darnell Furlong, the strength to win that header is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, yes, you can say he gets he gets he gets a little bit fortunate in the sense that I mean, can he possibly know that it is going to bounce up and over Allsop and into the far corner? Maybe not, but he heads it into the ground, which is obviously what you're always taught to do, makes it much more difficult for goalkeepers and defenders. But just the just the power and the strength to hold players off. Um and uh, and and win that header is phenomenal. And I put I put a, a post out on X in the week. And I, I I there's sometimes you put stuff out and you know what some people are going to come back at you with. And I put out um, a post basically saying that look, Darnell Furlong should be in the conversation for Player of the Season. We're not going to go back over this um, because we we've talked about this before on on this very podcast, but. I think one of the things that gets massively underestimated with Darnell, and his his defending is very, very good most weeks. Some of his passing is very, very good. But we've just been chatting about this off air, Pete. Albion have scored now nine goals from throw-ins or corners this season. Four from throw-ins, all of which are Darnell Furlong long throws. And of the five we've scored from corners, Furlong has scored two of them. Um, which is the one against Hull and the header against Ipswich. So basically, what what we're saying is that we have scored nine goals from throw-ins or corners, and Furlong has contributed six of them, either through putting the ball in or through scoring it. And, I mean, six out of nine goals from throw-ins or corners, our, our entire set-piece threat when it comes to not shooting directly seems to one way or another pretty much be Darnell Furlong and I think I, I think people miss that and th- that's before you even mention the one the one from open play that he scored which was the the belter against against Preston I, you, you know we can talk all day about his defending and we've just mentioned how good his defending is but this is a game we're discussing here where he scored a goal so let's just talk about the bigger picture on Darnell's uh, Darnell Furlong's goal contributions he is everything to our set pace threat and I mean we said after the Ipswich game that 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 sort of like ball into Darnell to flick it back across goal is something we used to do successfully we haven't done it enough for a while well we've done it twice now this season and I I, I just think he's a massive threat from set plays I think he he puts the ball into the box from throw-ins which for some reason some people seem to take for granted and just kind of go oh he's just a long throw well even if he was if he's contributing four or five goals a season from that that's pretty good you know that's if if any other defender was giving you four or five assists a season you you wouldn't just brush that off just because they come from throw-ins it doesn't matter and I just think he's doing so much in terms of creativity for us Pete and 
I think so much of it is going is going unnoticed. And th- those stats around our our set piece threat and Darnell Furlong's contribution to them are absolutely phenomenal. And uh, yeah, uh, I know this is two weeks in a row that, or maybe two three weeks in a row that I'm going to bang the drum for Darnell Furlong. But I think one he deserves it because he keeps contributing. And why we, we highlight it when. Alex Mowat and John Swift and Jed Wallace and people like this contribute. So why wouldn't we ha- highlight it when Darnell Furlong does? It's not it's not about getting on on our soapbox over a player. It's about highlighting the players who contribute a lot. And I do think it's going unnoticed how much he's contributing to our set piece threat. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's really useful having a player that can launch the ball into the box like that. And whether whether you like it or not, it's an effective way to create chances and a lot more effective than throwing a ball short and then trying to play from there because you can load the box full of your best your players that are best in the air and put a ball in there and it just causes chaos and it's it's also easier just to keep it a lot flatter than um, free kicks a lot of the time sometimes it's got to you know it depends on the distance he's throwing it but if it's basically level of where he wants to throw it then he can keep it pretty flat and it's very hard to defend against and I think Rosini said in his post-match interview that Furlong's I think he said Furlong's got the longest throw in the top four divisions. Like, I don't know if that's true or not, but um, it's certainly up there. And they said that they'd highlighted it before the game as a as a big threat and one that they need to deal with. And I think it was the Furlong long throw that led to the corner that Albin that Furlong then scored from. So even when you're you're not scoring goals or directly creating chances from the long throw, then it can still lead to to corners just because defenders have to deal with it and it can be awkward to deal with. And then just chance to create from a corner, which. Yeah, I just think it's got a lot more. It's a lot more dangerous to a long throw than it is just playing a short one. And again, it gives us variations. Um, sometimes we load the box full and then and then play it short because they've not bothered marking the man that's short, and then we can put in a cross. It really depends what we want to do, but it gives us options. And yeah, Furlong's also good at attacking set pieces. He's a player that's probably better in the air than what you'd assume um, if you didn't know, because he's not not the tallest def- of defenders, but. His leap is unreal. Though. I mean, he's you, you, I, you're right, Pete. He's not. He's not. I think he's six foot though. So he's still he's still tall. And when you add 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 his unreal leap onto that, I you know he probably actually gets higher than players a, a couple of inches, three inches taller than him. Yeah, and he's very strong as well when he's competing aerially. We saw that for the goal, um, but he's also at the other end of the pitch. We talked about it a few weeks ago, and I've not got the numbers to hand, and I've not got the numbers to hand um, today, but. He was. He did have one of the highest aerial success rates in the division in the defensive penalty area. So he's really useful to Albion um, defending corners as well as attacking them. So to have a player that's, that's extremely good in both boxes, whilst also being able to launch a, a throw into the box from however far away, and also been very good on the ball. I think you you struggle not to mention him in um, debates for player of the season. You know, I don't think either of us would put him as our player of the season right now, but I think he's he's one of the few that are that are up there in the discussion. Yeah, and just to be clear, that 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 was uh, that's absolutely the point I was making on social media. I'm saying if you were drawing up a short list, he would be there or thereabouts. I uh, I agree with you, Pete. He's not my player of the season. Um, in fact, there will be an article on the Substack about who at this moment in time my player of the season would be. I don't think. Anybody who regularly listens to this pod is going to be mega, mega surprised as to as to who it would be. But I'm also in that article. I'm going to give a little bit of a nod to the um, uh, to the players that I uh, whilst I don't think they are my player of the season that are in the conversation for me. And I will definitely be mentioning Darnell Furlong because I think he is he is in that conversation. He's not he he if you if you're going to do a sort of shortlist for it then he would definitely be on that shortlist he doesn't come out number one for me but he but but he is in the conversation definitely without a shadow of a doubt we've talked about the Albion goal Pete let's let's move on to the one we conceded I mean I've said before that uh, I've said earlier on uh, earlier on that this was all told a pretty near perfect Albion defensive display Kipre goes wandering for the Jaden Philogene one that hits the post but other than that pretty good this was the one absolute disaster that we had in the game and it really was an absolute disaster in every way that you look at it wasn't it I mean it's a short corner that was to be fair it was so quickly taken that it that it caught the sky vision mixer out you know they they they, I think they were still showing replays of the incident that led to um uh, led to the corner actually being given when uh, when it was taken but it's taken short 
and we're just so asleep. We really are. And then, but at no point do we ever wake up. And when Fabio Carvalho picks that ball up, you don't see anybody sprinting to close him down, to close the shot down. This is a guy, let's not forget, who plays for Liverpool Football Club, was signed by them for a lot of money, has played in the Premier League for Liverpool Football Club and spent the first half of this season at RB Leipzig, who are a Champions League football team. And we let him have a free shot from 20, 20, 25 yards. Are we crazy? And then what happens after that? Yes, let's make it let's make it perfectly clear even after he hits the shot his post shot expected goals is at 0.22 so there is somewhere between a one in four and a one in five chance of that going in the back of the net make no bones about it Alex Palmer is going to be extremely disappointed that he does not keep that out he gets a hand to it it is not a strong enough hand he should save that he absolutely 100% should save that having got to it He's got to keep it out. And as I say, it's not, it, it's a good shot, but it's not a great shot. It's hit with a lot of power, but it's not far enough away from the goalkeeper that it should beat him the way that it, the way that it does. But, and I do, and, and, and I absolutely hold Alex Palmer. Once the ball has been hit, I hold him responsible for it ending up in the back of the net. But where you can absolve, or not necessarily absolve Alex Palmer from, blame but where you can say that the blame is shared is that Alex Palmer should never be in a position where he has to make that save because we should be alive to the short corner and I don't it's not the first time this season we've 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 not been terribly alive to short corners I do think it's an area of weakness for us and secondly even after the short corner has been played somebody Somebody has got to see that you cannot let a player who is a Premier League and Champions League player at points in his career have a free shot from 20 yards or so. You just can't. You've got to sprint towards him to close the ball down and nobody's anywhere near him when he hits it. It's a training ground exercise. And I know from having worked with uh, work with players for, for a long enough time that even if you give defenders who haven't uh, uh, who haven't scored for three years a free shot from from 20 yards on the training ground, they will generally hit it with a lot of power and a, and a reasonable amount of accuracy because they're professional flipping footballers. You know, these uh, this is not this is not you or me Pete and uh, and uh, and I mean that with a Jewish respect because I've played football with you and you're a lot better than I am um but I don't I think if you and I were given that free shot uh, from uh, from 20 yards we wouldn't necessarily expect to hit the target every time probably and certainly hit it with the kind of power that Fabio Carvalho hits but most footballers at the level that we're at and certainly the level that Fabio Carvalho is at because I don't even know what he's doing in this division cannot be given that time and that space to hit that shot so whilst Alex Palmer should save it and I 100% accept that he should and it's a poor poor bit of goalkeeping from him it's also appalling defending that we don't close down Fabio Carvalho at any point it's the kind of situation that the defenders and well I say defenders the whole of the Albion team shouldn't let Alex Palmer get into but once that's happened you need Alex Palmer to do better to bail the rest of the team out and you know both both parties there have failed the Albion, the outfield Albion players have failed in allowing Cavallo the space and time to get a shot off there. And then Palmer's failed in, in bailing us out after we've already made that mistake. So, yeah, both parties are, are at fault there. And um, I think the whole team's got to take responsibility for that. There's no point picking specific players because even if it's not somebody's man, somebody's got to take responsibility and, and go out and close him down because we're obviously not set for the corner. And I think by not being set, it means that areas that would usually be filled by an Albion player then get filled by somebody else because they're just the closest man there and it just causes a lot of chaos and it means that nobody's free to then go and get out to Carvalho in time. So I'm not entirely sure that what the solution is, whether it's that everybody just needs to get into position a lot earlier, sprint back and and get into position, which you can't see happening every time. I'm not sure any team has players sprinting back into their defensive set-piece shape. Um, But maybe just the player that's marking the short has got to be a bit a bit more switched on and and get out to that that short pass earlier than they did, which might then give the rest of the Albion team time to get into their positions and stop the space for Carvalho. Maybe maybe you just need a leader back there that's going to make sure everybody's switched on. Because maybe I think it's people... just a whole thing, mate. Because <laughs> that is the most Alex Palmer has uh, uh, has um, over conceded his 
expe- uh, post shot expected goals this season since guess which game? I would have to guess Hull. At home, yeah. So maybe, maybe it's just the Hull thing. Alex Palmer will be delighted if that's the last time he has to face Hull this season because he, uh, the, they're two of the two of the worst games for over conceding his his post shot expected goals. Yeah, but it may, may well not be the last game because at the minute it looks like if we if we were to make the playoff final, then they'd probably be one of the two teams that we could be facing. Um, so, All joking aside, I'd fancy us. Yeah, I think I would as well. To fair, I don't think there's anyone that I wouldn't. Fancius against um I'd, just I'd be purely nervous. on the basis of results I, i'm i wouldn't I, I wouldn't want Southampton. if you gave me if you gave me the choice of who to play southampton i'm taking leicester out of it because i just can't i really can't see a way leicester don't make automatic promotion so taking leicester out of it the the one that i probably wouldn't want is southampton just purely on the basis they're the only ones who've beaten us twice yeah but at the same time i wouldn't i definitely wouldn't be surprised if we beat them next time we face them I think we stand a good chance against anybody and obviously I'll be extremely nervous for the game, but there's no one that I'd, there's not a team that I'd go into the game thinking, oh yeah, we've we've definitely lost this. I'd be very nervous for any game, but I'd also be quietly confident that we'd stand a good chance of winning the game because I think that's just how good Corbran is. You know, he showed it multiple times that if he needs to adapt to a game, then he will and he'll change things and generally he gets it right. So as well as his, you know, pre-game setup analysis everything that he does pre-match to get the team ready is excellent it's also excellent once the match has started and he sees that we need to make changes his in-game management is 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 really good so yeah i'd, I'd be quietly confident whoever we faced i mean it's if you make the final it's a, it's one game so anything can happen but yeah there's no, there's no one that i'd really really fear and Hall again is it's two games and we've we've come away with four points so yeah we're yeah, there's like I say, nobody that I'd really fear. Um, if we got Hull, if we ended up playing Hull again, then I think I'd back us to win. And you know, you can say that Palmer's um, conceded more goals than he should have done in both games against Hull, but uh, when it's just done on, on a two-game basis, a lot of it's just. Well, I know. say that a bit tongue-in-cheek as well, yeah. Pete, because it's not it's not his fault for the um, for the Louis Coyle goal at the, at the Hawthorns, is it? Uh, I can't really remember it. It was a back, back post, post volley from the right back, ball ball all the way across, and he's he, he's volleyed it back across goal. Um, he, he, to be honest, I, I think I think he could hit that. He's put it the only place that Palmer can't get it, and and to be and to be honest, I I feel like um, he could hit that ball a thousand times more, and he'd never put it there again. But there you go. Um, just just on uh, just whilst we're on the subject, Pete, you you just said there it's four got four points in two games against Hull. Should it have been six? I mean, okay, they've had a chance where they've hit the post. We've hit we we've hit the woodwork twice in the game. Um, Jed Wallace at, at nil nil, and then uh, Ryan Allsop makes a a pretty good save from Alex Mowat's follow up, which is which is straight at him. Um, Mikey Johnson drags a, drags a shot wide, and we'll talk more about Mikey Johnson in just a minute. Um, but the big one was after Philogene had hit the post. Um, Adam Reach and. There was some consternation about Adam Reach coming onto the field. I don't really understand it. First of all, if if at this point you're a West Bromwich Albion fan and you don't trust Carlos Corbran to do whatever the game needs and don't accept the fact that Carlos Corbran knows a damn sight more than me, Pete, you or anybody other any other Albion fan going, then I don't know what you've been watching for the for the last um, for the last sort of like uh, year and a bit uh, because. Just trust him. Just trust him. If he thinks Adam Reach is the right player for a game, then Adam Reach is the right player for a game. And do you know what? Adam Reach was brilliant when he came on. And that shot that hits the post, where where Adam Reach takes that shot from has 0.04 XG. So Adam Reach has virtually no chance of scoring from that position. And yet he hits the post with an absolutely f- fantastic effort. But I think where I'm going to on we should have won the game, Pete, is... What on earth is John Swift doing with the follow-up? I cannot for the life of me understand why he shoots across goal rather than into the gaping near post hole that it was like it was like the gap that Hannibal saw when David Button was in goal at St Andrews. I don't understand John Swift is a fantastic footballer and generally makes the right decisions in those sorts of situations. He's just had a nightmare in that situation because I don't know why he hits it across goal. I don't know whether he's mishit it, what he's done, but 
he's got to score, hasn't he? I mean, it, it, it's it, it's a 0.29 xG uh, according uh, according to the um, according to the data, but the reality is it was a much bigger chance than that, and he's got to score, hasn't he? I'm not entirely sure what he was trying because it kind of looks like he's miskicked it, and with a spin on the ball, it's probably a slightly more difficult chance than it looks, but he's still got to score um, regardless. And I don't know if he's maybe thought that. Allsop's coming from that direction and Allsop's going to be desperate to cover the, the gaping space of the goal. Um, so he's going to be moving that way and Swift's gone to go against Allsop's momentum and tuck it into the corner that he's he's kind of moving away from. And to be fair, Allsop gets a, a good good target. I don't know if it was going in or going to hit the post, but... Yeah, it's worth saying it had a post-shot expected goals of 0.96, Pete. So whilst it is a horrible uh, horrible miss from uh, from John Swift... If it, if there's a whole data podcast out there, they will be sat sat there saying that's a fantastic save from Ryan Allsop. Yeah, so they're saying it was on target and was going to go in. So it was a fantastic save. I think 0.96 is probably a bit over the top. It, I'm guessing that doesn't take into consideration where the goalkeeper was actually stood because it was a lot closer to him than it would have been if he was stood in a regular uh, position to face a shot. But either way, it's Allsop makes a good save. I don't know if Swift's mishit it and that's why it's ended up over there or if he's just maybe overthought it a little bit and tried to take into consideration the way that Allsop was moving. I think either way, he's just got to tuck that into the, the massive, the, the empty net on the near post and, and well, win us the game. But saying that, he did rescue the game at the end as well because after Hall were breaking forward, I think it was Philogene carrying it forward after a Darnell furlong long throw in the last few seconds of the game. Um, we looked like we were about to get cut open again, but Swift made a, an incredible tackle, won the ball and then what a, a challenge that, that was, Pete! What a challenge that was! Because I, I mean, I, literally, as that as that throne was about to go in, I turned to my missus and said, "Because she actually came to the Leicester game with me, so she knew she knew exactly what I was talking about." I just turned to her and went, "Please, whatever we do, don't do a Leicester here." And then they're breaking up field with the one player that I wouldn't want them to be breaking up field with, Jaden Philogene. and Swift comes from out of nowhere to tackle from behind him he hooks his leg around him and um and and just drags the ball back and it's a brilliant challenge so whilst there's an argument to be made that John Swift has cost us two points by not scoring the chance to win us the game. There's also an argument to be made that he's rescued one point. So I think you and I did some basic mathematics off air and and just said that John Swift owes, owes us a point, not two. Yeah, it was a brilliant challenge and, and he really did save us. And I think Swift probably came in for a little bit of criticism after the um, the FA Cup fourth round defeat um, after his challenge on, on Pedro Neto. I think it was... You know, he didn't do enough and wasn't strong enough. The challenge and people criticised him for not being not being strong enough, not being good enough defensively. But I think he showed, well, he definitely showed against Hall that that he has got that to his game as well when it's needed. And it was a a massive moment, even more so when you consider who we were playing and and what that would have meant. Because in fairness, it's it's more than just saving saving Albion a point because had Hall scored, then they would have got two extra points as well. So. It's a huge tackle when you take into who we're playing. Um, I mean, it would have been a huge tackle so, anyway. So you're saying you're saying he's even, <laughs> just just so just so I know in the in the terms of John Swift owing us anything is he, are we are we saying ah oh, go on John we'll call it quits. You know he might even be one up. I think I need a, a calculator and a pen, piece of paper and a pen to work this out because if we found know, some mathematics that have blown your accountant's mind, Pete, then then I'm I'm almost proud of that achievement. Yeah, I'm going to say he's one up. He. He saved us a point because we got a point and we didn't lose. But he also stopped Hall getting two extra points. So that's three points. And his miss cost us... Oh, no, because it's the same because we're playing Hall. Never mind. Forget all that. He He's still even. Let, let's uh, in, in, the words of, in the words of the famous song, uh, Pete, let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> exactly. It was a great ch- challenge, no matter what. And he's, he saved us losing the game. So that'll do. There's just one player that I want to want to do a little bit of a focus on, Pete, before we before we finish, um, and that's that's Mikey Johnston, who I thought was particularly in the first half was absolutely fantastic. I think he's had I think he's had a really really good week. Um, he obviously scored the brilliant goal at, at Plymouth. Um, 
I mean, he had the most shot-creating actions of any Albion player. He had the most progressive passes of any Albion player. He had the most progressive carries of any Albion player. He wa- he was successful in 100% of his take-ons. Um, he received the most uh, progressive passes. Um, he had the most carries into the into the final third. And he also, which is a very impressive statistic, because all of those just goes to show that Mikey Johnston had, an, had a fantastic level of threat. He also had the second most ball recoveries um and i think i think mikey johnston and tom fellow's coming of age in the albion side have given us a whole new dimension to um to our away our away play um because we talked before about um how we've been so much better away from home in the last 3 games i don't think it's it, it's a coincidence that that has coincided with Mikey Johnston being available, Tom Fellows coming into the side as well, because we've played a lot narrower. Like Johnston and Fellows were the, were the two most advanced Albion players, obviously Wallace playing as a makeshift number nine. We're completely without any experienced number nine. We do have Callum Marshall available, but uh, but of course, you know, it's a big ask to ask a young man who's never really played any senior football and certainly never played any senior football not made a senior start at this level um that uh, to come into the side and lead the line away from home somewhere like Hull I do think we will see something of Callum Marshall between now and the end of the season I still think he's got an important role to play and I do think he's 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 a very good player there's some people very quick to judgment on on social media wanting to judge an 18 year old um and and say he's not good enough I I think they're crackers to be honest they've seen an hour of football from the from the young man and I think he's I I think he's I do think he's a quality quality player and I think we will see that before the season's out and I'm I'm calling it right right now. Callum Marshall will score an important goal for West Bromwich Albion before between now and the end of the season. I am saying that that that's my prediction. That's my sort of Nostradamus moment, if you like. But what Mikey Johnston and and Tom Fellows for me, Pete, have uh, have given us is they've negated the need for a naturalised number nine because they come so narrow. We 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 put the least crosses into the box. Any Albion performance all season, we put just nine crosses into the box against Hull. That's the least we've put in in any game this season. And I think that it, you know, I, I think that a lot of that has to do with Fellows and Johnston because they're not they're not chalk on your boots line huggers. These uh, these players, they're players who want to who want to come narrow, want to check in on uh, on their stronger foot, get shots away, and. I think it allows somebody like Jed Wallace to lead the line. I think it's better for somebody like Brandon Thomas Asante, who is not particularly good at leading a line, but is very good at coming coming deep, spinning into space, um, and uh, and things like that. And I, I think it, as I say, I think it's negated the need for us to play with an out and out number nine. And I thought Mikey Johnston followed up his really really top cameo at, at Plymouth with. A fantastic performance, particularly in the first half against Hull City. But I, I do think the availability of those those two players, Fellows and Johnston, for us in in the recent in recent weeks, really since you know Fellows has come into it really since the turn of the new year in a big way, and then Johnston's obviously come into the side in the last few weeks. I think it's transformed the way that we're we're, we're able to play, and it makes us so much more capable of playing without an out an out and out number nine because the problem before was when we were playing with somebody like Brandon up front or even somebody like Jed in a makeshift number nine or something like that, without DK or Major, who is much better who are both much better at leading the line, you had players like Wallace out on the right hand side and they just naturally want to put balls into the box. Well, we don't want to do that anymore. Like I say, nine crosses, the least of any Albion performance all season. <laughs> and this shows how pointless putting the ball into the box was. We won 0% of our attacking headers uh, against against Hull. So it wasn't worth putting the ball into the box. But we found other ways to hurt Hull. And a lot of that comes from Fellows and Johnston and them advancing beyond what you would consider to be the number nine and creating different problems. They're much narrower and if we do need width, it comes from the fullbacks. I think Mikey Johnston and Tom Fellows have transformed the way we play, particularly away from home, Pete. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. And in the opposition analysis that I put on the the Substack before the Albion game, um, which we do, or we do one of them for every Albion, our, every Albion game, looking at what the opposition are 
are like, um, what the strengths are, how they like to play, and, and just kind of, yeah, seeing what we can expect to come up against. But I put into that that Hull are, well, particularly Jacob Groves in centre-backs, very strong in the air, but Hull aren't particularly good in their defensive duels. So we needed players on the pitch that could get the ball down and take on the man. And um, it seemed to be that's what we wanted to do when you start with Dean Garner, uh, Mikey Johnson and Tom Fellows behind Jed Wallace. Grady had a Grady had a tough game though, didn't he, Pete? Yeah, I thought it was it was quiet, but I, I didn't think he had a particularly poor game to be honest. Um, you know, it's not his favourite position. Uh, he had a few nice touches in there, but just didn't do an awful lot. I don't think it's it's half as bad as some of the stuff you see on social media. But you know, that tends to be the case on any subject. You always see people making a lot more of it than it actually was. Um, but I think that's what we're looking to do. We're looking to take Hull on and. And play in tight areas, and those kind of players allow us to do it without actually needing a traditional centre forward in the box. It's going to look to get on the end of crosses, and yeah, I thought it worked really well. And Fellows is Fellows is a player that can go either way. He can either get really wide and whip in a cross if you need him to, but he's he's really developing the ability to cut inside and be a threat coming coming inside from the wing off off both wings, to be honest. And it just keeps the defenders guessing, and you never really know which way he's going to go. And, I thought that one cutback he did in the first half was brilliant. I think it was, wasn't it his ball uh, for Jed Wallace to hit the hit the bar? I think so. Yeah, yeah, that was a brilliant, um, a brilliant ball back into perfect area, and it was really unlucky that that Jed didn't just find the the inside of the post and underneath the bar and put it into the top corner because I think Fellows definitely deserved an assist for that. And if you look at on Marky Johnston, um, I've got him as having received the the second most progressive passes for Albion. Um, only Jed Wallace received more, and that was only one more. Um, and I've got him receiving the, the fourth highest expected threat. Again, Jed Wallace received the most. But then behind Jed Wallace was actually Darnell Furlong in second. And then third for expected threat received was Adam Reach, which I thought is really impressive, having only been on the field for, what, half an hour. But Johnston ranking highly in both of them shows how well he did. And he seems to have been a really good signing from Celtic. Um, especially with some of the, the stuff that Celtic fans were coming out about him when we first brought him in, they were saying that he wasn't any good and there wasn't an awful lot of data for us to go on him. So I think, I think at this just... point, if they don't want him, we'll have him. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, if the first few performances from him are anything to go by for a standard, then yeah, I'd love to have him on a permanent. Like I say, all the... there wasn't too much data on him. All we could really find was that he was a winger that loves to dribble. It was difficult to say much more on him, and I think that's true at the minute, and he's proven to be an excellent dribbler, and not only does he carry us up the pitch, but he also takes men on in the, in the box, on the edge of the box, and creates creates chances from there, whether that be for himself taking shots on after he's cut in, or, or looking to, to find a pass and, and open up space for his teammates, so he's been terrific since he's come in, and I think it's, it's probably not outrageous to say that he's had more of an impact in his first few games, shall we, than Sami and had for the for the first half of the season and then it's, it's over the top at all to say that in any way shape or form Pete just absolute last point to finish up on because uh, I just want to pick up on something you said there about Adam Reach's expected threat and uh, and a point that I made earlier that you know it seems like as you go on social media after the game and the amount of people who lose their head the second Adam Reach is brought onto the field I don't understand it Adam Reach delivers Maybe not what Albion fans necessarily want. He's not he's not the single most exciting player in, in the history of the world. People say, oh, Adam Reach, see, but getting brought on ahead of Vyman for but it's completely different. And when you look at what he actually brought to the game, Pete, it was I mean, as I say, the strike that hits the post is fantastic, but just generally speaking, he was neat and tidy in everything he did. He's so he's strong on the ball, he's tall, he's experienced, he uses it well and and as you say, he 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 offered a really really big threat, and I I think at some point people have got to trust the fact that if Corbran quite likes Adam Reach, and it's clear that Corbran in certain situations does like Adam Reach, there's a reason for it. And at what point do we just put our own sort of little um, distaste or prejudices or whatever you might want to call them aside and say? Corbran has not steered us wrong at any point, really. And if Corbran thinks Adam Reach is the right player to bring onto the pitch at any point in a game, then you know, oh, captain, my captain. I just, I, I just trust Carlos Corbran. End of story. 
yeah, we said it after the Plymouth game that Corbran just seems to be able to get the best out of any any player that you would consider a professional a professional pro um, and is serious in just working hard on the training ground and kind of just getting his head on head down and, and focusing on the job in hand. Corbran seems to be able to get the best out of them. Um, Peters was the example after the Plymouth game because he's coming in and done brilliantly and I think Adam Reach is another example of that that you know when he's brought off brought on from the bench he generally delivers he gave the ball away a couple of times um against Hall but you know that what do you expect from a player that's playing as a winger mostly they're not going to be absolutely flawless in in possession because they generally try more difficult passes and they tend to get stuck in in tighter areas um but he he was excellent in making runs in behind and creating space and um yeah just stretching the whole back line a bit and offering something different i'd find it tough for anyone to say that he didn't have a positive impact when he came on obviously a lot of people see that reach is coming on and think oh what's what's corbran bringing him on for but like you say if corbran if corbran thinks that that a player is going to come on and impact the game positively then i think you're best off just kind of trusting him at this stage because he didn't really seem to get it doesn't really seem to get it wrong very often and yeah against Hull i thought i thought reach came on and, and improved things and credit to him for doing that because he generally does when he does come on um and he doesn't he doesn't seem like a player that's going to get carried away and be demanding to start and upset the dressing room he seems to just want to impact the game when he comes on um but not but not throw his toys out the pram and, and cause any upset so he seems to be a really good player to, to have around the club and, and ready off the bench if we need him Absolutely. In Corbran, we trust, I think, is the uh, is is the is the phrase that perhaps maybe even be the title of, of, of this particular episode. But it certainly should resonate through everything every Albion fan feels, because if you don't at this point, like I say, I don't know what you've been watching for the last uh, for the last uh, 18 months, because uh, he's not given me any reason to doubt him up to this stage. But. And let's hope he gives us no more reason to doubt him uh, on Friday night when we uh, face another one of the uh, the playoff challengers in Coventry. Another big, big game for Albion. Another opportunity to build up a bit of a gap before everybody else plays and put the pressure back on a lot of teams who haven't necessarily been coping too well with the pressure being put on them to pick up points in, in recent weeks. So a massive game on uh, on Friday. And Pete and I will be back at the weekend to discuss that fixture. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.